0: Thank everybody for joining us today on this important topic. Uh, Myself, Emily D'Souza, and Janae Lewis, my colleague, will be discussing the impacts of anti-Asian hate within our communities and what we need to do to improve the quality of safety that this community is receiving. Recently, there has been a disturbing surge of anti-Asian hate, including but not limited to physical assaults, particularly against children and elderly people, verbal abuse and threats to one's livelihood that has created a sense of fear, anxiety, post-traumatic stress and vicarious trauma within our communities. This is happening all around the world, not just to our neighbors in the South. We are clearly experiencing more than one crisis other than COVID-19, one that we argue is actually more deadlier than COVID, that is the virus of anti-Asian racism. To begin, we would like to take a moment to remember the lies that have been lost due to such hatred. As you may have heard, eight lives were taken by a white 20-year-old man whose mind was filled with hatred, racist thoughts, and white supremacist mentalities. His name will not be mentioned as his goal of attaining notoriety within the media would not come from us. Their names were Delaney Ashley Yuan, Paul Andre Michaels, Zaji Tan, Dayu Feng, Soon-Chun Park, Hyun Grant, Sun-Jun Kim, and Young Yu. We also want to remember all other victims of racist attacks that have not been named, but rather have stayed a statistic, just a body count, that becomes forgotten and normalized in today's society as an unfortunate consequence of reality. For this reason we find it essential to dedicate this talk to remembering these victims and survivors name the abuse happening and advocate for further actions to protect our neighbors anti-asian racism is any form of prejudice discrimination and antagonism directed specifically to the asian community as a means to keep them subordinate and marginalized while maintaining the standard of whiteness as a dominant group. Anti-Asian racism is not a new phenomenon. It has been occurring since the beginning of colonization and continues to be perpetrated through colonial policies. The outbreak of COVID-19 has exacerbated the levels of racist violence against Asians and people of Asian descent, affecting their health, well-being, And safety while simultaneously facing a higher risk of unemployment and of contacting the virus. More than 1,100 attacks against Asian Canadians have been reported one year into the global pandemic. 11% of these attacks were violent assaults or unwanted physical contact, while others included verbal abuse and vandalism. This is because people are blaming the Asian community for the virus that originated from Wuhan, China. They're calling it the Wuhan virus, or the China virus. This label has brought on tremendous damages to the Asian community as it has been used to threaten their health and safety, as well as their businesses. The fear stemming from this label has influenced the drop in sales in many Chinese businesses and restaurants as Asians have been believed to be the host of the virus. Yet, yeah, we rely on the Asian community to sustain our economy, particularly those who are immigrants. They are the fastest-growing minority group within our nation, and the majority of them are replacing the retired baby boomers in order to maintain economic growth. So why is it that we are no longer recognizing them as Canadian, and instead viewing them as the other that implies a threat to our nation? Instead of viewing them as essential and protecting them at all costs, Canada continues to neglect the discrimination within the workforce that puts them in precarious states. Nonetheless, racism within the Asian community has affected their economic value way before the pandemic. A recent large-scale Canadian employment study revealed that job candidates with Asian names are less likely to be called for an interview even when they have better education than their white counterparts this is why we see a large presence of asian canadians in skilled occupation but the constant levels of high poverty rates within the community shows they are also overrepresented in low paying occupation particularly among immigrants many are forced to participate in gig work retail sectors and service industries however This type of work often has a lack of consistency, career advancement, job security, insurance, and benefits. Asian women migrants who are often employed in feminized, low-paying work such as domestic and care work, service industry, and sex industry are particularly vulnerable to label exploitation, abuse, police violence, and deportation threats. These women are not protected under any government legislation, especially ones pertaining to COVID. With the frequent provincial lockdowns, such work is often not available, but these workers are not protected under any pandemic plan. Those in precarious employment with temporary or zero-hour contracts, women, entrepreneurs, or youth just about to enter the labor market do not qualify for unemployment benefits because they do not have enough prior work or contribution history to qualify and those that do qualify notice they are receiving way less than what they need to sustain their families
1: so i'm going to continue and talk about the intersectionality with gender Intersectionality does not only pertain to statistics around the workforce. Gender and race intersect in multiple areas of one's life, affecting their experiences and interactions. Anti-Asian racism is intertwined with the sexualization of Asian women, the fetishization of Asian women's bodies, and the stigmatization of sex work. In fact, 60% of victims are women, and going back to The Atlanta area spa attack, the words, the lack of public awareness, and the motive implicates white supremacy, white power, and the notion that we are a white settler nation and will do anything to maintain this. To further continue on the stereotypes of fetishization, the attacker's anger came from the idea that he thought he deserved these females attention, that he was entitled to it, Um, The stereotyping and the fetishization of Asian women as exotic, hypersexual, submissive beings was not addressed in the media. These stereotypes are embedded throughout American history. The Page Act of 1975 restricted women from China, Japan, or any Oriental country from entering this country for lewd and immoral purposes. Asian women, more specifically Chinese, but it's laughable to think that anyone at the time was making a distinction. But Asian women were characterized as prostitutes and promiscuous, as a part of a smear campaign born out of a general xenophobia of Asian known as the Yellow Pearl. It is important to talk about the different narratives associated with this as well, because a white man can take eight lives and it is viewed as him just having a bad day. You know, news articles focused the narrative and said that it was not racially motivated. And even if the shooter says that he thinks it has to do with his sex addiction, you can't disconnect this violence from the racial stereotypes that people attach to Asian women. The attacker blamed a specific race of people for his problems and then murdered them because of it. And if that is not deemed as racism, then the word racism has lost its meaning. I'm going to further continue and talk about impacts on Asian communities. And this involves talking about model minority. So model minority is a myth that focuses on prevailing stereotypes of Asians as hardworking, independent, intelligent, and economically prosperous. Now this works to ignore the issue of racism, poverty, labor abuse, and psychological needs of Asian communities while neglecting the existence and the impacts of white supremacy. We may have learned about Japanese internment camps and the Chinese head tax at some point throughout our high school years, or maybe in our post-secondary years, But our public education system has failed us, since anti-Asian racism is spread throughout Canadian history. Canada's historic um, discrimination against Asian Canadians is rooted in a mix of white supremacy, narcissism, jealousy, and insecurity. Chinese Canadians, in particular, were resented for the competition that they provided to white workers. Over time, their resentment developed in paranoia, which turned into racist policies. Just to name a few, this is not an exhaustive list of them, but there was a ban on voting in British Columbia, ban on immigration, that's the Chinese head tax, there was a Chinese Exclusion Act, and then exclusionary practices to protect white women. Um, Ontario and Saskatchewan and British Columbia passed legislation to prohibit white women from working with Asian-owned businesses, which was replaced later on with a permit system. And now to talk about disparities in Toronto's strategies. Now, there was a CBC article that talked about the Building a Foundation for Change, Canada's Anti-Racism Strategy 2019-2022. to And this foundation policy failed to specifically mention anti-Asian racism in it. And on the government website, you can see that it says that it's, a, it's guided by a vision of Canada where all Canadians benefit from equitable access to and participation in economic, cultural, social, and political spheres. It builds foundation for long-term action um, by supporting three guiding principles. And the three principles listed were demonstrating federal leadership, empowering communities, And building awareness and changing attitudes and now there's this misinformation and racist beliefs that are related to the coronavirus and where it first started in china and how that is behind the surge in attacks towards asian communities and in order to address this people have listed a number of other measures that the government can take towards combating anti-asian racism And that includes counseling with Asian Canadians to ensure that their needs informed by the government's response to COVID-19. And going back to talking about the uh, the foundational policy, you know, the anti-racism secretariat doesn't have the resources it needs to do all that work. And to talk about long-term impacts, so according to a report by the Chinese Canadian National Council Toronto, the younger cohort was found to be most emotionally and mentally impacted. Now with those under the age of 18, they were at 83%, and those aged 19 to 35 were at 79% and the recent reports of spikes in hate crimes and discrimination against Asians in North America have reignited an ongoing movement to end anti-Asian racism that advocates, um, advocate groups, sorry, have been fighting for for decades. And while it is important for these communities to speak out, their mental health has taken on an extra burden and need support. And now to list off some resources for more information. Um, this could be for yourself or to educate your peers. Racial segregation of Asian Canadians. Now, this article delves into racial segregation Asian Canadians face in many aspects of everyday life in Canada. So, such as work, housing, healthcare, politics, citizenship, and education sectors. Um, Canada's history of anti Asian racism that COVID has amplified. Now, this article highlights Canada's long history of anti Asian racism, which has been amplified during COVID times and Fight COVID-19 Racism. Now, this platform aims to allow individuals to share their experiences of racism and allows them to track and record instances of anti-Asian racism during COVID-19. And thank you for listening and hope you tune in next time.